Welcome to Spill the Tea, a bi-weekly download of life, liberty, and the latest in culture and news with your hosts, Dr. Robert McClure and Sal Nuzzo. Welcome to another episode of Spill the Tea. I am Sal Nuzzo, Vice President of Policy with the James Madison Institute. With me on location is our President and CEO, uh, Bob McClure. Uh, Bob, we are coming to you remote uh, uh, from uh, Atlanta, Georgia, the State Policy Network's 30th annual meeting. Uh, Are you tired yet? Uh, I'm getting pretty close, but I will say it's been a terrific meeting. Uh, A lot of our listeners may not know what the State Policy Network is. It is kind of the loose association of all the state think tanks, of which there are almost 60, somewhere between 55 and 60, uh, all across the country. We come together uh, multiple times a year, but in this case for an annual conference once a year. Last year it was in Orlando. This year Atlanta, they move it all around the country. Chicago next year. Chicago next year, out west. so it's a great time to get with other like-minded folks, strategize, think think about the future and kind of where we're heading. And uh, speaking of strategies or strategery, did you have a chance to uh, watch or listen or read uh, Joe Biden, President Biden's uh, uh I, I struggle with a, another word, but I, I just got to say awful interview yeah. on 60 Minutes. Yeah, and you add to it that Scott Pelley just looked at him reflectively and just let him keep saying just the craziest things. Yes, the answer is yes. I did all three. I listened, I watched, I read the responses. And for Scott Pelley to treat him with such kid gloves is just shameful journalism. I mean, when he says that inflation has only gone up a smidge or an inch or whatever term he used there uh not acknowledging that it's gone up you know almost nine percent and that the american people groceries and energy and gas and the list goes on for for scott pelly not to challenge him just on that that's just one he could have challenged him on a hundred but it's just shameful journalism and and the fact that he's practically bragging that gas prices are at four dollars a gallon average when because they've come down from 490 uh is just atrocious uh it, it's it kind of it it saddens me because in addition to those things on the foreign policy front he actually basically changed america's foreign policy right. stance in one statement uh suggesting or stating that the united states would use troops to defend taiwan if china invaded and his own administrative communications uh, outfit had to walk it back the very next day it just kind of i mean i i, I continually wonder about the mental faculties that right. are left and and who is actually running the administration add that in the interview he said multiple times that the pandemic was over uh, when people in california are still faced with masking and yep. mandates when the his own Armed forces are going to lose tens of thousands of soldiers because of the vaccine mandate. Yep. Um, That, too, was walked back by his communication staff in a really kind of awkward way of saying he was actually said that while he was at a car show. So somehow he didn't really mean it, whatever that means. So the the contradictions and the hypocrisy there uh, is really, really just a disaster. But think of it. You know, there are two groups that, you know, regardless of what one thinks about this president, he is the president of the United States and the leader of the free world. So if you're 
Taiwanese, if you're China, Chinese, if you're Russian, if you're if you are in uh, North Korea and you hear this, we will defend you, uh, Taiwan, with armed forces. What what are they to think? What are they to respond? And then conversely, if you're an American citizen and you're told that inflation is really not a problem, it's only gone up an inch. You you know who you're going to believe me or your lying eyes when you go to the grocery store and it's just become absurd. You really have to wonder who's actually running this administration. And and one other thing that that I'll point to is he did seem to equivocate a little bit on whether or not he would actually be running uh, two years from now for, for the re-election. first time. Right? Yeah, that was the first uh, kind of intimation that it might not happen. I think he's going to get a, a increased amount of pressure to formally announced that he won't uh, run for re-election. And, I, I mean, personally, I can't wait for the, in my opinion, what's going to be just an absolute dumpster fire of a Democrat primary, right. Democratic primary for president in 2024. Agreed. Now, I know we fought a war 240-something years ago to uh, extricate ourselves from the monarchy, but I, I think it would be remiss if we didn't discuss at least uh, the Queen's passing. Sure. Uh, you were looking up some incredible statistics about her 70-year reign. Uh, her first prime minister was Winston Churchill, born in 1874. Crazy, right? A hundred years before I was born. Right. And her last prime minister, who she met the day before she dies, Liz Truss, was born in 1972. So virtually 100 years apart. It's unbelievable. So she had a reign that lasted 70 years. I believe it was the longest reign of all time. Uh, Queen Victoria, Mm -hmm. 62 years as the next. I mean, long time back. Um, But to kind uh, kind of set the stage... After this now, we have King Charles III. Is the monarchy going to transition to something else? Mm-hmm. It has to. I don't know what that looks like, but I think it will continue to transition. One of the great things, and I, I'm not a monarchist, but I love you know, British history, and you, have, you can't have uh, – you have to admire and respect Queen Elizabeth. I just think she was a great queen. The queen herself uh, changed with the times over time, yeah. and so I think you know Charles the Third. He, you know, he's a different person. He's a different generation. He grew up in a different generation, and so I, it's gonna it's gonna change. What that looks like, I don't know. And King Charles the Third is is in his seventies, so clearly will not have anywhere close to the level of reign that right. uh, Queen Elizabeth had. Um, but uh, r- waiting right in the wings is uh, William. William, yep, uh, and and his wife Kate. Uh, the and I think now they are the prince and princess of Wales, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think so. I think you know so. more about this than yeah. I do. You know, as Americans, it's hard for us to understand the love for the queen and monarchy. I mean, we're you know, in America, every man's a king and every woman's a queen, right? At least we think so. And, and is so, there a president we would have wanted for seventy years? Uh, right. <laughs> exactly. Name one. I don't think so. None. None. Zero. So I do think it's a, but I think it's a fascinating. Uh, thing to watch as an outsider. Let's shift back across the pond to our home state of Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis uh, decided to shine a very bright light on the problems of illegal immigration and uh, and folks crossing the border. Sent two plane loads, I believe it was about 50 people mm-hmm. uh, who had crossed the border illegally and sent them to Martha's Vineyard, right. a sanctuary city in a sanctuary state. Right. You know, it was interesting. It was political theater at its finest. Um, I think the governor was trying to make the point uh, that the left, when they say that either the border is not open, as Kamala Harris has said, it's closed, 
uh, or the fact that they just crossed the two million illegal immigrant mark uh, crossing into the United States, uh, the most ever in the history of recorded recordings of, of illegal immigrants. Um, the sad thing is, is that this is these immigrants, illegal immigrants, have become pawns because the Biden administration has refused to uh implement policies remain in mexico and some of the others that um would secure the border let's be clear okay jmi doesn't take a position on immigration but personally bob mcclure believes in robust legal immigration that that is great for our country we are a nation of immigrants uh it is the illegal immigration uh, is not is not um, helpful to the people who come here illegally. They must live in the shadows. They can be taken advantage of in so many different ways, uh, whether it's sex trafficking or not being paid for the work that they're doing. And and it is criminal that we have allowed this to happen illegal, l- illegally. Legal immigration, wide gates, illegal immigration, close down the border. And and one thing I would like to kind of uh, come back to is what you started off with, and that is kind of the, not necessarily talking about it from a political theater perspective, but the fact remains that when those folks landed in Martha's Vineyard, I think they were only there around 18 to 20 hours. Right. And what happened? The governor of Massachusetts activated his state's National Guard right. to get them off of Martha's Vineyard. They actually did in Massachusetts what Texas and Governor Abbott and Florida and Governor DeSantis have been wanting the Biden administration to do all along, and that Excellent is secure point. the border and get uh, a, 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 a process that allows for exactly what you're talking about, a robust system of legal immigration. I think everybody uh, from across the political spectrum would argue that our legal immigration system is in great need of repair, in great need of reform, but that does not change the fact that we have thousands of migrants surging across the border to Texas. They are being trafficked. They're being raped. They're being abused. And the administration is doing nothing about it. Right. All right. Moving on, uh, JMI just hosted, uh, just last week, Sal, our Tech and Innovation Summit. We had over a dozen states represented. We had the District of Columbia represented. Obviously, uh, Florida is kind of the first among equals in this space. We had it in Miami, which is quickly becoming known as the new Silicon Valley. And then we had Mayor Suarez here. So talk more about the Tech Summit. Yeah, it was a uh, a great two day event. Uh, we couldn't think of any other place we would want to do it than sure. the city of Miami. Uh, and absolutely, the kind of the big draw was having Mayor Francis Suarez join us for uh, a lot more time than he even had allotted for us. Uh, he actually did a demo uh, working with our friends at Optima Foundation on the first VR classical school right. in the entire country. Virtual reality for yep. those that don't understand what VR is. Yep, yep. immersive technology, uh, and it's and it's all being innovated in the state of Florida. And it was great to see, as you mentioned, a number of other states, some of our partners, uh, state legislative members from around the country coming and really talking about the deep dives of what is the state's role in policy solutions to cultivate and ensure that your state is 
innovating in a way that protects markets, protects consumers, and kind of creates a robust ecosystem for, for innovation. Yeah, and really, uh, the James Madison Institute is really one of the few state think tanks with a center for tech and innovation. And so we have the ability in Florida to help other states with their tech and innovation, with their uh, regulatory sandboxes and those kinds of things. And so it's really a tremendous um, opportunity for us when we hold this is our third annual tech summit we had to take a break for the coronavirus but it was a great event in miami and our thanks to the mayor and to all of the guests who came and spoke because it really they spoke on state policy national policy legislators from across the country who came in and it was a a great great time together there's this is a very very sad uh, situation there's a drug bust in jacksonville that seized enough fentanyl Think about this, to kill 1.5 million adults. That is just absolutely uh, kind of mind-boggling just in the in the depth and breadth of this and also very frightening, uh, you know, regardless of, of, of what you think about um, kind of uh, uh, political and philosophical debates over the drug war and what have you, the idea that that they, that enough fentanyl to kill, you know, a, a sizable percentage of, right. the, of the population of right. our state is just being seized and, and kind of, uh, you know... It, and that and, and that's another thing that we should have mentioned, uh, which is uh, the porous border uh, allows this fentanyl to come across and 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 take our children and and our families. I mean that is another issue related to a porous border. So, I mean it's just tragic what happened there in Jacksonville. Um, glad we were able to yeah catch them. Uh, two other things related to. Um, Florida News, the governor, obviously, has been very active in dealing with um, state officials, yep. county officials, who he feels really aren't doing their job uh, by the state or, constitution. Or who have been indicted. Or who have been indicted, right. Uh, obviously, we have two. We have the uh, Governor DeSantis just recently suspended the uh, Miami commissioner, uh, Joe Martinez, down there. Um just suspended Joe Martinez after, after he was indicted right. on on some uh, uh, state level charges or federal right. charges, right? And then obviously uh, Andrew Warren. Andrew Warren. Yep. Talk, remind the the listeners. So, Andrew so Warren state was. attorney Andrew Warren had signed on some, to some pledges not to prosecute specific crimes. Uh, the governor, uh, uh, many conclude rightly, decided as Rick Scott did with Aramis Ayala that Andrew Warren was not fit to serve as a state attorney. If you're right. you know blanket providing immunity that clearly is a separation of powers issue and so he suspended uh, the state attorney from Tampa that uh, individual Andrew Warren is now litigating that uh, judge Robert Hinkle uh, in Tallahassee uh, decided that uh, it, he would not reinstate him while the litigation was ongoing so there's much to be seen in that in that right part. right I mean there's no doubt that the governor has become very active in his role yes. as governor and he's not afraid to use uh, his power. Yep. Finally, uh, as we wrap this up, and our apologies to our listeners that this seems to be perhaps a shorter version yep. of Spill the Tea. We're on location in Atlanta at the State Policy Network um, uh, three-day conference, but uh, we ha- we'd be remiss if we didn't close with college football, which we do typically. Yep. We have now an official 12-team playoff, I think, yep. which will be in 2026. Um, what are your thoughts on the state of college football in a playoff? Well, well, my my thoughts are bad idea. 
I, I, I can't. I, I, I am. I am a college football purist. I grew up in the '80s, the '90s, uh, when college football was every single Saturday mattered. That was the motto of the NCAA uh, football uh, program. Uh, every single Saturday matters as they expand this playoff. And I was against the four-team playoff, but I, I was okay right. with it. As as they expand it, they dilute the value of every Saturday matters, and I am just I, I I'm not a fan. Right. What I, about you? I, yeah. I'm I'm a little more okay with it, but I think eight is the right number. I don't believe in buys in football. That's that just doesn't work. It's not really fair. I think if you wanted to, you could expand it to eight. Uh, take the conference championships. Take two at large from the Power Five. Yes, you mean? Okay. and you're finished. Um, that would have been okay. Um, but I'm a you know I'm an SEC guy, so winning a conference championship is still a big deal. Yep. But as it gets to twelve, it's going to dilute yep. that more and more, and it's going to dilute, as you said, the kind of weekly sudden death nature of college football yeah and and and, and, and that was the difference between uh, college football and college basketball and why each one had its own identity within the context of how it determined the national championship and it made it so robust and right. so exciting because you had you know the NCAA which could have you know the Cinderella story right. and the 64 team playoff versus the you know the the, the power fives and the SEC right. and all of that and and, and the 14 playoff diluted it a little bit the 12 team playoff is going to do it even more and so uh it's i you know i'm struggling to see anything positive in this yeah yeah and then finally the state teams florida uh barely got past south florida kudos to the bulls fans for uh almost pulling it out miami had a real tough one against texas a&m fsu we're 3-0 soon to be 4-0 i would think playing bc and then the meat of the schedule starts for the seminoles so it's going to be a real challenge we're real excited uh about kind of the you know, certainly concerned about Jordan Travis uh, and and how you know his injury there. Not sure how. Uh, I think it's touch and go for for BC, but uh, real excited about the future for the Knowles. Great. That'll be all for this episode of Spill the Tea. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk with you soon. Thank you for listening to Spill the Tea. For more content from the James Madison Institute. Follow us on social media or check out our website at jamesmadison.org.